Heavenly Father, we thank You. We praise You, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. And we do ask, Father God, that You would be our teacher this morning. That man would decrease, that Your Spirit would increase. I pray for each heart that is here. That our hearts would be receptive to Your Word. My heart as well. Father, we know that You love us so very much. And You desire to conform us to Your image. And Lord, as we just pray and and seek after You, I pray, Lord, that You would reveal to us just through Your Word. And Lord, that it would touch each life that's here today. We thank You that we're all here by divine appointment. That nothing happens by chance. Lord, we love You and we praise You. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Last week in Luke 14 we saw that Jesus was dining with the Pharisees. And we know that the Pharisees were the self-righteous Jewish religious leaders of the day who thought that their salvation came by good works. And you know what? There's nothing new under the sun because many people today think they're going to heaven because they do good things. And the reality is that the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And last week we saw Him warn against, warning them against seeking the best places. We saw how they brought a man in with, with dropsy to try to stumble our Savior. And what's interesting to me is that what did they use to try to trap God? They brought in a man who was hurting. And they knew that that would be something that Jesus was attracted to. Why? Because our Savior is a Savior and a God of compassion. And when somebody is hurting, He desires to touch them. And they brought that man before the Lord and the Lord touched him and they began to ridicule him for healing on the Sabbath. And the Lord rebuked them because they sought the best places. He rebuked them because they were people who desire to have the accolades of men rather than be faithful before God. We saw him also talk to them about what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it ends on, last week we ended on this portion where it says, unless we hate our mother and father, our sister and brother, our own children, our own families, we cannot be his disciples. And when you look at that, people say, whoa, that's heavy. But here's the thing, our love for God must be so supreme that the love we have for anything else is almost like hate in comparison. Amen? Our love for God is above all else. And you know what? That's a true disciple. That's what a follower is. That's what a learner of Jesus Christ is. Not somebody who just knows about God. Not somebody that knows that there is a God, but that we have a personal, intimate relationship with Him that is deeper than any relationship you have on this planet. Then lastly, last week, he closed by saying that salt that loses its flavor is of no value. It's no good anymore. And the Bible says that we are being the salt of the earth. We should be so salty for God that we should make others thirst for what we have. We should be impacting the world around us. And so he closed last chapter by saying these words, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's where we're going to pick up this morning in chapter 15. And I titled the message this morning, The Land of the Lost. And here's why. We're going to look at the heart that our Father has, the heart that the Son of God has, the heart that the Holy Spirit has for those who are lost. And you know what? We live in a world that's lost. We live in a world that's desperate for God and doesn't even know it. And you know what? We're going to see the work of the Son. We're going to see the work of the Spirit. And ultimately, we're going to see the work of the Father as He deals with three different, well, one parable in three different parts. And I find that interesting. One parable in three parts. One God in three persons. Amen? And we're going to see as we go through each one of these portions of the parable. The first one will be the lost sheep. And a sheep, I don't know if you know this, we'll go into this in detail, but sheep are dumb animals. And it's interesting that we are referred to as sheep in the Bible. Because we're dumb animals. Amen? I mean, sheep will walk into fire. That's not real smart. Sheep will be 
15 feet away from water and die of thirst. Because sheep need to be led. And as believers in Christ, we too need to follow the shepherd. Amen? We're also going to see the lost coin. And this coin is lost due to the carelessness of others. And lastly, we will see the lost son, the prodigal son, who is lost because of his own rebellion. This chapter we're going to look at this morning also makes it very clear that there is only one way to salvation. Only one. And there are two distinct points to this salvation. And number one is that there's a part that God takes. God seeks after us. It is His desire that none should perish, no, not one. God desires, and above all else, that each one of us would have a loving relationship with Him. But along with God seeking after us, there's also the human response. Along with the fact of this divine sovereignty of God, there's a responsibility of man. And we're going to see that also as we look at the parables this morning. So again, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man are both keys to salvation, and we'll see that. So let's begin in verse 1. As we look again at the beginning, uh, we'll start with the lost sheep, but first let's give a little background. It says that all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now how did he end the last chapter? He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And who came to Jesus when he said that? It was all of the sinners and the tax collectors. They came and said, we need to hear. We need to find out. We need to know more. You know, it's interesting to me that those who think that they've already arrived find no reason to seek after God. And it says in the very next verse, And the Pharisees and scribes complained, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You know, all the tax collectors, all the sinners came to Christ. Lost sinners came to Jesus. Why? Not because He catered to them or compromised His message, but because He cared for them. He knew their needs and He desired to help them. It's interesting that sinners were attracted to Christ, but they were repelled by the Pharisees. The self-righteous people looked at the sinners and said, you guys are vile. I don't even want to be around you. And you know what? We need to follow Christ's example that sinful people should be attracted to us, not be repelled by us because we're being self-righteous. Amen? You know what? We need to go, all we need to do is go down to the mall, downtown Santa Cruz, and walk down that mall and see a lot of hurting people. And they can either be repelled because we're self-righteous and we think we're above them, or we can realize that they are sinners in need of a Savior just like us. Amen? That they are desperate for God. And God desires to use us to reach out and minister to them. The Pharisees' self-righteousness repelled man, but the love of Almighty God received men and drew men unto Himself. The Pharisees criticized and kept their distance. They looked down upon people. They sought after personal outward purity, but they didn't understand what it meant to truly have a relationship with God. It's also interesting to note that they were really reviled because He ate with them. In Jewish tradition, when you ate with somebody... When you shared a meal, you in a sense became a part of one another. You ate of the same bread, you ingested the same meal, and you became a part of one another. Gives a clear understanding to communion, doesn't it? When you realize that we come together as God's family, and we partake of the communion table, a picture of Christ's body, and a picture also of His blood. These Jewish religious leaders did not understand that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. They said, look at Him, He's eating with sinners. He's a rabbi. Shouldn't he be hanging out with all the righteous people? Shouldn't he be sitting up in the temple somewhere with a bunch of other people all sitting in their robes talking about how righteous they are and casting aspersions on the sinners? That's what Jesus should be doing. That's the way they thought. But Jesus did not come to build a kingdom on earth. He didn't come to promote himself. What he did instead was he came to seek and save that which was lost. The Pharisees were lost and didn't realize it. 
And so the Lord is going to give these parables, this one parable in three parts, to talk about lost people. He's going to talk about lost sheep, a lost coin, and then lastly, a lost son. You know, it's interesting and it's a, it's a blessing to know this, that society may not want to associate with me because they may not like who I am. The world may ridicule you because of who you are, but Jesus will always receive you. Always, always, always. Doesn't that bless you to know that God loves you? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? That He that knows me best loves me most? Blows my mind that God loves me. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever done. He knows every thought that I've ever had, and He loves me anyway. That's the God that we serve. And these lost sinners came to Him because they were hurting. And the Pharisees, again, looked out with ridicule. But let's begin by looking at the parable The first parable, in the parable of the lost sheep, we're going to see the work of the Son. In the parable of the lost coin, we're going to see the work or the activity of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, in the prodigal son, we're going to see the love of the Father. One parable in three parts, pointing to one God in three persons. Let's begin by looking at verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which he lost until he finds it. Now again, sheep were dumb animals. And sheep were lost because of their own foolishness. They would just wander off. You know, they would wander off, they would get lost. And you know why they would get lost is because they would not be listening to the voice of their master. You know, it's interesting to me that even now... Shepherds come together and they'll bring all their sheep together and all the sheep will come into a huge pen. And then how do they separate the sheep when it's time to go? The shepherds will walk away and either start singing a song or whistling a tune. And when they do, the sheep know the voice of their master and all the sheep that belong to that shepherd will then follow him. And you know what? That's such a clear analogy for us today. That we are sheep and we should know the voice of our master. And we get lost when we stray from his voice. We get lost when we start seeking after our own will. And we end up in a ditch like this sheep does. And so the sheep is dumb, the sheep is foolish, the sheep gets lost. And he says to the Pharisees, helping them understand that I came to seek and save that which was lost. He says, which of you, if you lost a sheep, doesn't leave the ninety and nine in the care of another shepherd to watch over him in safety and go after and find that one which is lost? Which of you doesn't do that? He's saying, you know, you're Pharisees and you go after the sheep. Should we not go after the sinners? Should we not reach out to those people who are truly hurting? Incredible as it was, the sheep's actions were so foolish, it caused them to be lost and proving again that every single one of us is important to God. He leaves the ninety and nine to go and find the one. Look what it says in verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays, his on, lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he finds the lost sheep, he lays it on, it on the shoulders of the shepherd. Upon the shoulders of the shepherd go the sheep. You know what? It's interesting to me that when he finds the sheep, he doesn't beat the sheep. He doesn't, he doesn't rake the sheep, right? He takes the sheep and puts it upon his shoulders and lovingly carries that sheep home. Now this is such a clear picture of Jesus Christ. Because what was placed upon his shoulders... The cross of Calvary. And that, that cross was placed upon His shoulders that we might be His sheep. That we might be adopted into His family. And He took the sins of all mankind upon Himself. And you know what? I love the fact that when the Lord carries, when a shepherd would carry a sheep 
It's interesting to note that he would carry him, and after the, the sheep got to know the smell of his master and was carried by him from a far, for a far distance, you know what would happen? That sheep would stay near to the shepherd from then on out. And when the Lord carries us and we draw near to him, we build a relationship with him like never before. You know what's also interesting to me? Is this very shepherd became a lamb. He became a sheep. Because the Bible says that he is... What did Father say when Jesus came at his baptism? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So not only did he put the sheep upon his shoulders, not only did he carry us, but he took our place at Calvary. Amen? He became the sacrificial lamb that we might have eternal life and a relationship with him. Now what's the result of the sheep being lost and then being found by the master? Look at verses 6 and 7. And when he comes home, he calls together to his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. Rejoice with me. This is a picture of what happens in heaven when somebody comes to know Christ. It says in verse 7 there that there's more joy in heaven over one person coming to know God over one person repenting than over 99 who are righteous. Now we know that what he's talking about here is the self-righteous. Those who think that they've already earned it. You know, it's awesome to me that every time somebody gets saved, there's a party up in heaven. Amen? Do you know that the Bible says it very clearly? You know, we want to start a party up in heaven. Amen? We want to see all the angels in heaven rejoice. And this rejoicing is fourfold. First of all, who rejoices at the repentance? What repentance produces joy? First of all, in the heart of the one who gives his life to Christ. Why do we have joy when we come to know God? Because our sins have been forgiven. Amen? When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say you have to do 57 other things to be saved. He said it's finished, tetalistai, done, paid in full, stamped. Amen? And so there's joy in us because we know that we've been forgiven. There's also joy because we've been adopted into God's family. We finally understand what life is all about. We're indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit, and we've got the promise of heaven. Amen? Shouldn't we have joy as believers? You know why? When we have an eternal perspective, no matter what happens in the world around us, so what? Amen? Why? Because we're going to heaven. Because our Father loves us. He's in control, and He's faithful. Where, how else is there joy in heaven? In the heart of the one who is used by God to lead the person to Christ. What an incredible privilege and blessing it is that God would use imperfect vessels like us to lead other people to Christ. We must remember that we are just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? It's not because we're perfect or great, because our God is great. And He saved us. And we know where the bread is. And I'll tell you, how many of you have ever had an opportunity to lead somebody to Christ? Raise your hand. Is there a greater joy in the world than that? Why? Because you talk to somebody who was once lost and now they're found. Somebody who was once confused and didn't know where their life was headed and now they've come to know Jesus Christ. And you know what? I believe that it's God's desire that every one of us in this room would lead someone to Christ. Amen? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if we're not fishing, we're not following. Amen? And God desires that we would be used by Him. So the joy is in the person and the joy is in those of us who God allows to lead them to the Lord. But also, it's in the heart of all believers. Doesn't it just bless your soul when you hear about somebody giving their life to Christ? It may be somebody you've never even met before. It could be somebody on the other side of the world. And you hear about a testimony of who this person was and how they need to know Christ. And you just you rejoice in your soul. 
Because this is someone who's been adopted into your family and you're going to spend eternity together. And lastly, it's in the heart of heaven. Repentance again starts a party up in heaven. All the angels. But you know what? All three parts of the Godhead rejoice. The Holy Spirit who drew you. The Son who redeemed you. The Father who adopted you. Almighty God cheered when you repented of your sins. Now, I don't know exactly how this happens in heaven, but can you imagine Jesus standing and clapping His nail-scarred hands when you gave your life to Him? What an awesome picture that is. He paid the price for you. He suffered and died in your place. And then when you respond to the drawing of His Holy Spirit to what He did for you, He cheers in heaven. What an awesome God we serve. Amen? Aren't you glad we don't serve a dead God? We don't serve idols. We don't serve something that we you know, chop half of the wood and build an idol out of it and burn the other half in the fireplace. You know, there's people all over the world worshiping animals. And You know what? We worship the risen and living Savior who loves you so much that He cheers for you when you follow after Him. Again, the word here for just persons is the self-righteous. And praise the Lord that there's, there's a party up in heaven every single time Someone gives their life to the Lord. And he's making it clear. Look, you guys, when you lose a sheep, you go find them. I'm here to seek and save that which was lost. We move from the lost sheep now to the lost coin, and we're going to see the activity of the Holy Spirit. Very clearly, the lost sheep is a picture of the Son, because he seeks and saves that which is lost. Now we'll look at the work of the Spirit. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I lost. Now, to give some understanding to this, I want you to understand that she's not looking for money. I'm rejoicing because I found a $100 bill. That's not what it is, okay? In those days, the women had a dowry, and the dowry consisted of ten drachmas, or ten silver coins. And these coins basically became like her wedding ring. And when she was married, she put on a headband and these coins would hang from her headband and it was a sign to everyone that she had been married. So women, this would be like the diamond falling out of your wedding ring. Can you imagine the panic? Right? The diamond falls out of the ring. Your husband's at work. You're inviting every friend you have over. We've got to find this thing before he gets home, right? You, you light the house up. You're tearing the floorboards up. Where could it be, right? And when you do find it, isn't there rejoicing that comes afterward? Well, this woman has lost this coin and she's seeking to find it. And then look what it says in verse 8. They lit a lamp. You know, the Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates the Word of God to us. Amen? They had to light a lamp to find the coin because Jewish homes had no windows that were very dark. And without the lamp, they would never find what they were looking for. And without the Holy Spirit, we would never find what we're looking for. Amen? We would never understand the Word of God. We would never find out what it means to be a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us. It's the Holy Spirit that illuminates the Word of God to us. Why is it we can look at the Bible, those of you who have given your life to Christ, and it makes so much sense to you, and then somebody else who doesn't know God can read the same thing and go, duh? Why is that? No Holy Spirit. Spiritually blind. They don't Now, what do we do? We need to pray for them. Pray that God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, would illuminate to them the truth of who God is. So they seek after the coin. And again, trying to find it. Verse 10. Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Are we finding a theme here? What is He telling them? 
You know what? The lost sheep, I came to seek and save that which was lost. The coin was lost because of the carelessness of another. You know, this kind of tugged at my heart's strings to think about the fact that there are those who don't know God because of the carelessness of others. Are you raising your kids in a godly home? Are you teaching your kids about the things of God? Praise the Lord for the baby dedication today. May we dedicate our entire families to God. Amen? May we seek above all else to raise our kids in the admonition of Jesus Christ. I don't care if my kids dig ditches for a living as long as they love Jesus. Amen? As whatever, I don't care what they do. If they love God, if they're in love with Him, then man, I'm excited. The Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. And so here we very clearly see that the carelessness of others kept some from knowing the truth. But the illumination of the Holy Spirit revealed the truth to them. Finally, we're going to look at the prodigal son. The lost son. You know, I want to say one last thing about the coins. It's interesting to me. Remember when Jesus, they came to Jesus and wanted him to pay taxes? And they said to him, what should we do? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Thought, thinking they were going to trip the Lord. Because if he said to pay taxes, they would say, oh, you're in line with the Roman government. And if he said not to pay taxes, they'd say, oh, you're in rebellion against the Roman government, so now we'll have to have you, you know, crucified. And what did Jesus say when they said, should we pay taxes? He said, tell me, whose picture's on that coin? And they looked and they said, Caesar's. And he said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Why? Because the ruler's picture is upon the coin. It's interesting that this woman lost this coin, and whose picture ought to be on the coin. Whose image were you and I made in? We were made in the image of God. Amen? And we should give unto God what is God's, and that's us. He died for us. We're made in His image, and we belong to Him. The sad part is that many people rebel against that, but Almighty God desires above all else that we walk with Him. So those two parts of the parable, again, sheep belong to the flock, coins belong on a headband, and lost sinners belong in fellowship with God. We need to be back in place, reconciled to God. We need to be back in service, being used for God's glory. And Jesus is saying that God actually searches for lost sinners. The Pharisees were totally bummed out. The Pharisees were getting legalistic and angry. Why? Because He came to touch sinners. They missed it completely. Why did Jesus save you to have fellowship with Him? And what does He want to do with you now? He wants to use you to touch a lost and dying world. Now we're going to look at a, the story of the prodigal son. And you know what? This is one of the most famous texts in the whole Bible. Very many people have heard this. Secular world even uses this. I, I heard somewhere that this was voted the best short story ever written by many people. Why? A great short, short story can be read over and over and over and over and over. And every time you read it, it impacts you even more. And you know what? This story absolutely does that. The prodigal son. And when we look at the prodigal son, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see the love of our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father loves us. A lot of people depict God as this God up in the sky with a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake so He can smoke you. That's not our God. Aren't you glad? Amen? Because if, every time, if for every one of us who made a mistake got smoked, we'd be a bunch of ashes in this room today. Amen? We'd all be smoked. But praise God that He loves us. And we're going to see the love of a father. The prodigal son who's going to be lost of his own choosing. He's going to be lost because of his rebellion. The sheep was lost because of foolishness. The coin was lost because of the carelessness of another. And the prodigal son is going to be lost because of his own choosing. Look at verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. 
According to Jewish law, the older son always got double what all the other sons got. And it was, it was actually legal and okay for a son to come while his father was still alive and to seek after his inheritance. The father could give it away before he died if he wanted to. But at the same time, it was pretty ruthless because in a way what you were saying was, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want your stuff. Dad, I don't want you. I want your stuff. You know, this is a sign of rebellion when you value stuff over people. Amen? This is a sign that we've missed it completely when we start esteeming stuff more than we esteem people. You know, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? I've heard people say, you know, ministry would be great if you just get all the people out of the way. Well, people is the ministry. Amen? It's all about the people. And this man here, this young man, said to his dad, give me my stuff. Give me the goods. He wanted his father's goods, but he didn't want to live on his father's farm. He didn't want to live under his father's rule. He just wanted his stuff and wanted to be able to go. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal means wasteful. He first fled from his father's presence before he fell into waste. Have you ever noticed that you can't walk in sin when you're in the presence of Almighty God? Here's the reality, you guys. God cannot have sin in His presence. And when you're blowing it, the last thing you want to do is be hanging out with the Father. You don't want to read the Word. You don't want to pray. You don't want to be in fellowship. It's convicting when even somebody who knows the Lord comes near you. Right? Oh, dude, man, you can talk to me about the Lord. You want to run away. I have certain friends that I know when they're blowing it because I don't hear from them. Because they know if they call me, I'm going to go, dude, how's the walk, man? You in the world? Oh, you know, how's it going? Oh, well, and, and, you, and you get all uptight, right? Why? Because we want to flock around and hang around those who are going to feel good about our actions. And so this prodigal son, he's a wasteful son. He flees the presence of his father, and he takes the goods, and he wastes them. He loses them. Again, we're always headed for trouble when we value things more than people. And the son's actions were willful rebellion against his father. You know what? When we sin, sometimes we sin because we're being foolish. Sometimes we sin because we're being careless. But often we sin just flat out because we're in rebellion to God. God says, don't do that, and you know it, and the Holy Spirit is telling you don't do it, and you just keep going. How many of you ever, you know what I'm talking about, amen? The Lord's going, don't do that, and you know it's sin. And you know what? And here's, here's the enemy going, oh, God will forgive you. Just do it, right? I mean, that's the flesh. That's the sinful nature. And this man just said, you know what? I want my stuff. I want to get out of, the, out of my father's presence. I want to go party with my friends. And off he went. And he wasted it all in prodigal living. Look at verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. The riches of this world are temporal and will leave you hungry. Life in the far country is never what we expect and will always leave us wanting. So often the grass is greener over there, right? Oh, I've got to go over there. If I go over there, then I'll be happy. If I get a bigger house or a better job or more money, if I just have a relationship, and we, we keep saying these things will bring me peace, these things will bring me happiness. And we don't seek God's will, we just seek our physical desires and our own flesh. And so what happens is this man did that, and guess what? He was in want. He got to the faraway country, and guess what? The grass wasn't so green after all. Guess what? When he got there, he found out, you know what? I'm in famine. I'm hurting. I'm out of the presence of the Father. You know, the Bible tells us there's no one more miserable than the one that knows to do right and does not do it. There's no one more miserable than a Christian who's walked and been on fire for God who steps out of God's presence. And I'm glad that that's true, aren't you? 
Aren't you glad that God loves you enough that those whom He loves, He chastens? That's the God that we serve. And so this guy, guy, young man goes off. He blows all the money. There's famine in the land. He's got nothing left. Now what is he going to do? The prodigal son. Look at verse 15 and 16. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, unequally yoked. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, if you're a Jewish boy, about the last thing you want to be doing is feeding pigs. Pigs were unclean animals. Pigs are not kosher, right? And so you go from being the son of a wealthy man, having you know, all this incredible wealth, being blessed, and now you find yourself in the pig slop. You're in the slop with the pigs. It doesn't get any lower than this for this young Jewish boy. This is a picture of what sin does to us, you guys. Sin leaves us in the slop. Amen? That's where you're going to end up. You go sin, you're going to end up in the slop with the pigs. You know, sin promises freedom, but what does it give us? Slavery. It promises success, but it brings failure. It promises life, but the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So we're going to see this young man quickly move from rebellion to repentance and praise God for that. Because he's going to come to the end of himself. And sometimes we need to be knee-deep in slop so that we realize how desperately we need our Father. Amen? Sometimes we've got to come to the end of ourselves and not have comfort anymore, not have peace anymore, and say, you know what? I'm in the wrong place. I need to go home. I need to go back. I need to go back to where I came from. Look what it says here in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? He came to the end of himself. He finally realized that his rebellion had landed him in a pigsty. You know what? The father did not follow his son. This is interesting. He let his son go, no doubt prayed for his son, but he waited for his son to return. But he let his son go. And you know what? Watch and see what happens because the pig slot didn't satisfy. Drugs, sex, alcohol, career, position, possessions, house, relationships, all that stuff outside of God will never satisfy. We've got this big vacuum. St. Augustine said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. And we try to fill it with the things of the flesh. And your flesh will never, ever, ever be satisfied. You can feed your flesh more and more and more, and all it does is make it more hungry. The only thing that will satisfy is to have a relationship with Almighty God. That Almighty God might come and fill up that God-shaped vacuum. And we make decisions. We should not be like the prodigal son who makes decisions based on, what am I going to get? How am I going to physically be blessed? Instead, we should make decisions on, what is God's perfect will? What is His perfect plan? How am I going to draw nearer to my Father? How can I spend more time in His presence? How can I make my life count for eternity? But too often, we throw up a Holy Spirit prayer, you know, a missile prayer at the last second after we've taken the job and we got the U-Haul loaded and we're on our way out of town. Oh, Lord, and bless this move. Instead of saying, Lord, what's your will? What's your heart? What's your plan? And here we see the prodigal son bailed out of town. He winds up knee-deep in pig slop. He comes to the end of himself and says, you know, things weren't so bad at home. You know, my, even my dad's servants had bread to eat, and I've got, you know, pig slop. And I'm a Jewish kid, so I'm not liking this much at all. So God really touches his heart. Again, all the slop in the world won't satisfy. Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know what? How did he start with his father? Give me the goods. Give me the stuff. 
Give me the goods. But now, with repentance, he goes from give me the goods to make me your servant. You know what? This is a sign of spiritual maturity. He begins by, I have sinned. Now, these words were spoken by Saul, Balaam, Judas. But you know what? Those men who spoke those words didn't really repent. They said, I have sinned, but their lives were not transformed. They never truly came to the Father seeking forgiveness. They just said, I've sinned. But you know what? To repent means to turn around. It means to change one's mind. And this young man who was once saying, give me the goods, turned his heart around and said, you know what? I don't want the goods. I just want to serve my Father. You know what? A lot of people today come to Christ saying, give me the goods. Next time you watch Christian TV, most of it's garbage anyway, but most of the time, next time you watch Christian TV, are they saying, give me the goods? You know, if you just say Cadillac, 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 God will put one out in your driveway. What is that all about, right? Give me the goods. Give me the stuff. He's a holy Santa Claus up in the sky, and you just got to yell at him enough, and he'll finally kick down whatever you want. That is not the God of the Bible. Remember that when the prodigal son was in rebellion, and he was unbroken, and he was outside of God's will, is when he said, give me the goods. Amen? And we should be not saying to God, give me the goods, but Lord, make me your servant. Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I want to give my life to you. Lord, I trust you above all else. Where else would I go but your presence? Where, where else would I rather be? You know what? My father has a cattle on a thousand hills. My father's going to take care of me. There's nowhere I'd rather be than right at his feet. I love that his name, one of his names in the Bible is Abba Father, which means Daddy. Amen? Which means I can crawl up in his lap and be near to him, and he loves me. That's the God we serve. Why would I want to wander off and chase after stuff that's perishing, that's temporal, that doesn't matter? And the prodigal son finally came to the end of himself, and he said, I've sinned. Make me your servant. That's spiritual maturity. Lord, I want to serve you. Not, Lord, give me, but, Lord, make me. Not, Lord, how can you, what can you do for me, but, Lord, what can I do for you? You've already done everything for me. Amen? And that's where the prodigal son truly understood what repentance is. Now, what, is, what happens when the young man repents? It leads to the father's rejoicing. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Man, do I love this picture. You know what? He had gone away. He had taken his father's goods. He had gone off and lived a wasteful life. He had been partying with his friends. He had been joined to a, to a sinful person. He had been living in the pig slop. And when he comes home with the heart to be a servant, how does his father receive him? He runs to him. Now, it's important that you see something here. This is so awesome to me. In Jewish culture, older men never ran. It was undignified. This is the only time in the Bible that we see a picture of God the Father in a hurry. Only time in the Bible you see God the Father in a hurry. And when is He in a hurry? To run to you when you repent. Isn't that awesome? When you repent, what does He do? He runs to you. How many of you have ever heard that song, God Ran? Man, I can't listen to that song. I weep every time I hear that song. Because he ran to me, looked me in the eyes, put my head to his chest and said, my son's come home again. That's our God. He ran to him. And so the great, thing, the great news today is, if you've been away from the Lord, if you've walked away from God, you can take a million steps away from him, but it's only one step back. And if you turn to him, he will run to you this morning. 
He will draw you near to Himself and say, My son, my daughter has come home again. There will be a party up in heaven. Amen? He loves us so very, very much. He ran to show His love for His Son, but also to protect Him. For the sake of time, you can look it up. It's in Deuteronomy 21. And it says, when a son is in rebellion, that they would take that son and they would stone him to death. And no doubt, everybody knew that this prodigal son had been in rebellion. So not only did the father run to him to welcome him home and to show him his love, but he ran to protect him from those who might stone him. He ran and held him close and put his arms in his, and put his head in his chest, said, my son's come home again, and he was protecting him from those who might bring him harm. That's exactly what our Heavenly Father does for us. Amen? He loves us, he runs to us, he protects us. He's willing to take the stones for us, or take the nails for us, which is exactly what he did, or take the whipping for us, the beating for us, the mocking for us, the crown of thorns upon his head, the sin of all mankind. That's our God. What a great and awesome God we serve. Look at verse 21 and 22. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. He says, I want to be your servant. But look at the grace of our heavenly father. But the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And kill the fatted calf, or, or bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us be merry. How does the father respond to repentance? He throws a party. He says, give him the best robe. You know whose robe is the best robe? The father's robe. You know the Bible says that we are clothed in the robe of righteousness. Amen? We've been given the robe. When we repented, he clothed us in his righteousness. He put the ring on his finger, which signifies that he was still his son. He didn't ask him when he came back, okay, you're going to have to earn my forgiveness. You're going to have to go out and you know, plow the fields for the next ten years and let's see if you're really sincere about this. He saw his heart and he forgave him and he clothed him in righteousness and he accepted him back as his son. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. It's interesting again to note that there had to be death before there could be a feast. Pointing again to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Before there could be a feast, before there could be a celebration, there had to be death. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Jesus had to die or we, might not have, we could not have eternal life. I, I talk to people all the time. People even call themselves Christians, and they think if they're good enough, somehow they'll get to heaven, and they see no need for the cross. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. If we could get there on our good works, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. Amen? It's amazing to me. People have crucifixes all over their house, and they think they get to heaven by being good enough. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good things. Because you're still going to be a sinner in need of a Savior. You're still going to be knee-deep in slop no matter how many good things you do. You're still going to need the love of the Father. And He's going to run to you as soon as you repent. The Son will be like that sheep and He'll pick you up out of the ditch. He'll carry you on His shoulders. He'll take His sin upon Himself. And He'll pay the price for you if you will just simply say, I want to be your Son. Forgive me for my sin. I have sinned against you. And that's what the prodigal son did. Now, I love verse 24. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he was found. And this describes a transformation in every sinner that comes to Christ. Every single one of us was lost. 
The Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins until you come to know Christ. Dead people. Why is it that we're not to be yoked with the world? Because they're spiritually dead. Doesn't mean we look down on them. Again, we're not to be self-righteous. Our hearts should be broken for them. Every saved person this side of heaven should be burdened with every unsaved person this side of hell. Amen? We should be broken for them. But you know what? We're not to be yoked together with them. Why? They're dead. And you know what? You hang around dead people, you start to stink. Amen? We don't hang out with dead people. You don't drag corpses around. You know, if you did that at school, people would you'd be in the loony bin, right? But spiritually, we want to do that. We want to drag corpses around. We want to be united with the world. And you know what was awesome to me? He said, he was dead, and he's not dead anymore, he's alive. You're a new creation in Christ when you give your life to him. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm a child of the king. It doesn't get any better than that. I used to be lost. I used to just wander around trying to figure out what life's all about. You know, turn on talk shows on TV sometimes if you want to see a bunch of lost folks. Amen? They sit around and talk about stuff, and they get all done, and no answers, right? And they just talk and talk and talk. Well, yeah, well, sounds good. And there's no answers. A bunch of lost people. A bunch of sheep, all, in a bunch of, all of them in ditches together. We're all lost. We don't know where to go. And you know, here's the reality. That they need to turn to the shepherd. The only way you're going to stop being lost is if you turn to him. The only way you'll stop being lost is if you allow him to draw you unto himself. Now, sadly, as we close here, the last seven verses, we're going to look at the, the response of the elder son. And at this point, I believe the Pharisees think they're getting away clean. Because all Jesus has talked about so far are those who are lost. He's made a very clear point to the Pharisees that I came to seek and save that which was lost. And the Pharisees think, hey, we're not lost. We live in a temple, man. I got the robes on. What are you talking about? I got the tassels and the robes. I got a phylactery with the word of God on my head. I mean, I nobody's more holy than me. I'm not lost. And look at this, though, with the elder son. I believe he addresses the Pharisees. He addresses the self-righteous. Let's finish up by looking at them. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come because he has received him safe and sound, and your father has killed the fatted calf. Now we're going to see the envy of the son. And again, what a, what a mind-blower. Now you would think that if he was walking with God, if you found out that your son, your brother, who'd walked away from God, had come home again, wouldn't you be excited? You'd be praising the Lord, unless you were not walking with God yourself, and instead you would just be envious. This son was envious of the attention being paid the younger son. He was envious that the son had gone out and lived a sinful life, that his father was now rejoicing in killing the fatted calf. It's interesting to me that for there to be sacrifice, there must be repentance. Because look at the reaction of the son. He, like the, the Pharisees, thought, you know, I've always been here, I've always worked, I've always done good, I've always done right, and you never threw a party for me. Look at verse 28. But he was angry. It would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may marry with my friends. Yeah, how come you never had a sacrifice for me? How come you never threw a party for me? I've always been with you. I'm the perfect kid. I'm the kid that's always been here. You know why there's never been sacrifice for this son? Because there's never been repentance. There is no shedding of blood until there's repentance. There can be no conversion without conviction. He doesn't say, I'm a sinner. He says, I'm perfect. I'm one of the Pharisees. I'm the holy of the holies. How come you haven't thrown a party for me? You know what? God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. There's a proud young man who was trusting in his own good works. And you know what? 
God's grieved by that. And here we see that the, that the father, the same father who ran to his son, now comes out and ministers to the older son. The older son who, again, looks at his brother and he's envious. Why? Because his brother had been blessed by his father. Again, the Pharisees and the scribes, they knew about good works, but nothing about grace. They didn't care about others, they cared about themselves. They were seeking position. They were seeking possessions. When you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking about? Do you wake up thinking, how, how does God want to use me today? Lord, here I am. Yes, Lord. Are your first thoughts about God when you wake up in the morning? Are your, are your thoughts all day long, Lord, is this a divine appointment? Is this an opportunity to be used for your glory? Or is God something you think about on Sunday morning when you blow the dust off your Bible and come to church? You know, it's not about having this distant relationship with your father like this older son had. It's intimate, personal relationship that only can come through repentance. Verse 31 and 32. Verse 30, excuse me. But as soon as the son of yours, the son of yours came, you dev- who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are with me always, and all that I have is yours. It is, the, it is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Same father, again, who ran to greet the prodigal, came out to the feast of the feast to plead with his older son. It was desired that none should perish, no, not one. And may we never forget that our perfection comes because of the third son in this story. You know, we got the younger son who lived prodigal living and was outside of God's will, had to be knee-deep in slop, came to repentance. We've got the older son that thought he did great and wonderful works. He was the, the example son to the world around him, but had not repented. But there's a third son in this story because remember, these words are coming out of Jesus' mouth. And he's the son that restores us. Amen? It's only through this third son in the picture that we can know and have eternal life. Jesus, our Savior, our perfection becomes we, because we are in Christ, because we are clothed in his righteousness, not because of our good works. The prodigal son started poorly, but he finished well. Amen? Because it ended in repentance. It's not what you've done up to this point that matters. It's where are you at with Jesus right now. And you know what? It's his desire that none should perish, no, not one. The Bible very clearly tells us that everything that happens in our life is by divine appointment. You're here this morning. It's Labor Day weekend. I know we've got some visitors here. God brought you here by divine appointment because he loves you. And you know what? He knew that this was going to be the message this morning, and it's not by chance. And you may be here this morning, and maybe you are a Christian, but you haven't been walking with the Lord, and He's saying, I want you to come home. Get your knees out of the slop. I love you, and I'll run to you. And you know what? Maybe you're here this morning, and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're like that lost sheep in the ditch, or the lost coin that needs to be found, and the Holy Spirit is drawing you right now. You know what? May we not leave here without Him. So in this chapter, here's what we saw. If the worship team will come up. We saw the work of the Son redeeming the lost sheep. We saw the activity of the Spirit illuminating truth and retrieving the lost coin. We saw the love of the Father receiving the prodigal Son. We see the divine sovereignty in the first two parts of the parable that God is seeking after man. But then we see human responsibility in that the prodigal Son responded to the Father. We saw the joy of the Father rejoicing in heaven and the result that happens when one single sinner repents of his sin. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your grace. 
We thank you that you love everybody in this room so much that you would rather die than live without us. And Father, I just pray, if there's anyone here, Lord, if they're in rebellion to you right now, Lord, and it may not be that they're overtly just walked away from you, Lord, but they know they're not walking in the center of your will. They know, Lord, that they've chosen the things of the world over you. And Father, this morning you're drawing them by the power of your Holy Spirit. I just pray that right now you would just pierce their hearts to respond. If there's anybody here right now, and again, with every head bowed, just be praying for those who are here. If you're here this morning and you, you, you are a Christian, but you know that you're not where you need to be with God, you know you're not walking in the center of His will, and you want me to just pray for you, the Father will run to you. A million steps away from God is only one step back. If you're here, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody? God bless you. 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 God bless all of you with your hands up. Heavenly Father, I just pray for those whose hands are up, Lord. That, Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we thank you, Lord, that repentance is received with rejoicing. The Lord, that you love us so much that you run to us when we repent. You run to us when we just turn to you and say, Lord, I want to be back in the center of your will. Father, I just pray for an outpouring of your Spirit on everyone that raised their hand this morning. Lord, just pray that, Father God, they have that intimacy a deeper intimacy than they've ever had before. And then quickly before we close, I, I would feel remiss if I didn't do this. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you're lost, but you know what? He, he desires that you come unto Him. He's looking for you. He's coming after you, but you must respond to Him. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in Heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in Heaven. I'm not asking you to join a church or join a club or do anything else. It's just simply a, between you and your Heavenly Father saying, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. If there's anybody here at all, I would just ask that you raise your hand. I'll pray a simple prayer with you. Is there anybody here at all? You want to know for sure that you're going to heaven. You want to know for sure that you've given your life to Him. Is there anybody here at all? Heavenly Father, we do thank You. We praise You for Your Word this morning. I thank You for each person that's here. Lord, we look forward to the day when we will be around your throne forevermore, just worshiping you. You You're worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be praised. So Lord, we love you. We praise you, Lord. You are a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and close the worship song.